0: Hello, and welcome to the Business Decisions Podcast. My name is Stuart Wood, and I'm the CEO of Caravel Law. Every week, we bring you stories and insights from founders, owners, and leaders of great businesses, followed by some thoughts and input from one of Caravel's lawyers. Caravel Law has been a leader in legal innovation in Canada since 2004, and has helped many startups and small businesses overcome challenges as they have scaled and succeeded. Our hope is that these discussions will help existing business leaders and inspire others to start their own ventures. Now, let's get to today's guest. Today on the podcast, I'll be speaking with Alan Skok, the co-founder and CEO of Masago. Masago is a very cool app that brings a registered massage therapist directly to your home. He's been running Masago for about four years and has also been the president of the Sanctuary Day Spa for the last 12 years. I'll be talking to Alan about some of the challenges and key decisions that he's made in building Masago into the success that it is today. And in particular, we'll discuss what it's like to build a business with freelancers, or in his case, registered massage therapists. Following my conversation with Alan, I'll be joined by Ellen Swan, a lawyer with Caraval Law. Ellen is a commercial and civil litigator, and she also handles employment and human rights legal matters for us at Caraval Law. Ellen and I will talk about some of the obligations that a company has when they are using freelance talent like this, as well as the obligations that a company has to create a safe environment for both employees and contractors and clients. So, with that, this is my interview with Alan Scott of Masago. I'm delighted to have on the podcast today, Alan Scott, the CEO and co founder of Masago. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. Alan is also the president of Sanctuary Day Spa's. He's a past chair of the Spa Industry Association of Canada and a proud graduate of the University of Western Ontario. Purple and proud. So delighted to have you on the podcast today and would love to learn a little bit more about Misago.
1: Sure. Well, thanks again for having me. I appreciate it, Stuart. Very very simply, Missago is the massage that comes to you. Using the app, either Android or iOS or the website, you can book a massage by c- clicking a button, uh, vetted registered massage therapists will come to your home or workplace on demand 365 days a year from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Do a lot of people have massages come to them at work? Not well. It's a great question. We are uh, focusing on our enterprise business where certainly during regular daytime hours where the at home massage is not as busy, there is a demand for that. Yeah. Uh, so something that we are uh, looking to uh, focus more on in the future. There are certainly some days where in the middle of it, I could use a massage. You know what? Uh, the, the reality is we're very stressed. The society's society yeah. stressed and we're sitting at our desks all day long. And it's tough to get to a clinic or a spa. And really that's what our model is all about. It's convenience. And in many cases, that means massage at work. If, uh, as a spa industry professional and someone who runs a spa, and you uh, find it? odd to see yourself now as the CEO of a tech company you know n- not so odd the spa business we celebrated our 21st year last year so uh, very much brick and mortar and this day and age when you're 20 years in business brick and mortar it's not so easy and it's 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 uh, something to be proud of but also we've honed our, our skills and we, we know our strengths and weaknesses and certainly Offering massage was was one of them. I've always had a passion for health and wellness and technology, and this seemed like a very good way for me to marry those two and apply it to an industry that I'm very familiar with. Um, So essentially scratching my own itch, and and hence in 2016, we launched Wasago. Yeah. What are some of the benefits to having a massage in your home versus at a spa? Well, I mean, number one is convenience, right? Uh, people are so busy that they just can't find the time to book a massage. And oftentimes when you do call a spa clinic, um, you have to wait days to be seen. Uh, whereas Masago is a massage that comes to you. You can book same day or up to 60 days in advance. So, so the benefit right off the top is convenience after your massage, jump in the bath or shower, go to bed. Unlike, you know, spa clinic when you're fighting with traffic and looking for parking. And what's, what's more uh, stressful after a relaxing massage than jumping in a cold car and fighting traffic or TTC to get home? Mm-hmm. So, in terms of the
0: massage therapists, how many uh, RMTs do you have as part
1: of your network? Presently, we have more than th- uh, 300 uh, massage therapists in our network. We have quite an extensive vetting process with the uh, with the RMTs, uh, and we actually turn away uh, 40% of the RMTs who apply. <laughs> this style of business, um, it's, it's a true two-sided marketplace. and the supply being in this case, the registered massage therapist is uh, an incredibly important piece to this puzzle. In fact, I probably underestimated the difficulty of attracting uh, uh, high caliber RMTs into the network. I in 2016, this was a foreign concept. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of an app based uh, massage therapy delivered to your home uh, was new. Certainly massage at home has been around for a very long time. Yeah. Um, but it was a manual process. Um, it was, you know, uh, through recommendation. But um, this was a new concept. So certainly in 2016, and it's much easier now, the recruiting process was, was quite difficult and, and, and challenging. Now, because we're, we're busier and uh, it, it, we just find it a lot easier to, to attract good rmts into our network what do rmts like about the model in terms of going to someone's home to give them massage number one is trust and safety and that this is a piece that we take very seriously I and mean, we've taken that from day one we consider ourselves an rmt first company and registered massage therapy is a, a regulated health profession it's covered under the regulated health professions act and each province has uh, either a regulating body uh, an association or a, a college That mandates their therapists. So so trust and safety and abiding by the regulations, I would say, is number one to RMTs. So when we launched in 2016, we had to prove very quickly that we were capable of providing them with a safe environment and that we're abiding by the college rules and regulations. So I think that would be number one of most importance. It's probably number one for the Clients as well, right? Clients really do love the fact that we're vetting the RMTs the way that we do. You you mentioned clients and and how they appreciate that. Uh, One of the tools that we insisted on when we launched the business uh, in, in, you know, keeping trust and safety in mind was making sure that we're sending our therapists into a safe environment, keeping in mind that uh, 80% of RMTs are female. So we're sending a female to Stewart's uh, private home. We want to make sure that uh, we're not sending her into harm's way. So we want to verify that Stuart is who he says he is. So we implemented with our partners at OnFido a third-party verification tool. So before Stuart can book his first massage, he must undergo uh, the verification process. And that means, in our case, submitting a government-issued ID and then uh, um, a, a selfie uh, this third-party company verifies that Stuart is who he says he is, and only then can he go ahead and, and book his first massage. So with that in mind, I was very nervous coming into the business because I thought, we're, I don't think we're going to sell one service. This is going to be a major barrier to entry. turns out that the clients really appreciate that we, we go through this measure because what we've heard is if, if we're vetting our clients this way, then surely uh, we have as rigorous or more of a process with the therapist. Well, it sounds like it if 40% of RMTs who apply don't join the network. That's right. So, yeah. you know, definitely mobile massage um, is not for everyone. And it, it, it must be a good fit for them to join the network. Uh, in some cases, therapists really like the predictability and the stability of a, a brick and mortar clinic or a spa, the, our on demand model, although the remuneration is considerably higher than what they would earn at brick and mortar, but um, you don't have that consistency as far as a schedule ahead of uh, coming into the day, exactly what the day looks like and where your, where your massages are going to be. So typically a more senior therapist who's practiced 10, 15 years, has their existing clientele the relationships. They're probably less inclined and less likely to um, be a good fit for us uh, and vice versa. Is this model
0: unlocking some people who have massage benefits through your work but haven't been taking advantage
1: of them? It's funny you mention that. That's our market. Our We, we unlock missing massages. Billions of dollars um, are left on the table every single year. People who just have access to, to, benefits, but they don't tap into them. So what we found and what we've heard from our clients is this is so convenient and, um, it's hard not to, uh, it really, there's very little excuse now to get a massage at home. And the best part is most of our clients are using their benefits to pay for them. So certainly we are unlocking missing massages. Well, that's great. In terms of the two sided marketplace that you described,
0: do you see any tension or trade-offs
1: between what clients want and what RMTs want from these grades? Um, so a couple, of, I've touched on safety and, and that is definitely of importance to both clients and, uh, and, and therapists. So just, just to reiterate, on the therapist side, we meet each therapist in person, they do a practical exam, they must be in good standing with their college or association, they provide us with the background, police background check, um, and we do a reference check on them as well. And on the client side, as I mentioned, we mobile verify that it is their phone, um, and they must undergo the uh, the verification process with the uh, the selfie and the government issued ID. On 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 on, the, on price, this is important to clients, and it's also important. The remuneration is very important to the therapists, obviously. So in our case, we have to be competitive. We do consider this premium service because we are coming to your home, but we can't charge a premium price. If you look at Uber as an example, premium service, but you're not paying a premium price. And we feel the same way. So it's very important for us to charge competitive or better than competitive pricing uh, for our clients, and we want to pay our therapists as much as possible. So in our case, we take eighty. Uh, the we take twenty percent. Uh, the therapist gets paid 80% and we make it very easy for the clients to leave a tip for the therapist. So their earning power is even higher. And it's funny I mentioned tip when we first launched the gratuity was um, automatically included and uh, there was some pushback from our clients understandably. So we took that away Mm -hmm. and um, we found that still 90% Ninety percent of our clients are still leaving uh, gratuity for the uh, for the therapist. So certainly, um, the earning potential is very important to the to our therapists, and we address that in our model. In terms of the last minute nature of bookings, though, for clients they may
0: appreciate the flexibility to be able to book same day, but there is an inconvenience to the
1: RMTs to have to react quickly to a last minute booking. Um, what we found, certainly, what we found is when a client finds a therapist they like, uh, it's our responsibility to make it as easy as possible for them to rebook with that therapist. And also what we found is when a client finds a therapist that they like, they actually are willing to wait a day, two days, in some cases three days. Um, and certainly uh, they often book ahead. So yes, uh, certainly, it, c- it can be inconvenient to the therapist when they're getting requests same day from from a, from someone that they know and that they've seen, and they want to continue to treat. Mm-hmm. We ask the client whether or not uh, they're firm on on rebooking with that client with that therapist that they've hired in the app, or if they're open to uh, another therapist. But certainly, the, um, the the logistics of scheduling and same day become challenging, and that's where. Uh, I invest heavily on our customer service team um, to make sure that uh, the interaction is as smooth as possible for the client and the therapist. Now, we're
0: recording this in fall of 2019. How many markets are you in at the moment?
1: We're in about six core markets right now. And we have plans to expand Canada-wide, urban centers Canada-wide. So our core markets would be Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa, Waterloo. Um, and then there are some adjacent markets there, certainly in the Toronto area. And how do you think about going into new markets? It's a great question. Certainly, it's the supply and demand game, right? So uh, a week doesn't go by where we'll send an email campaign and we we receive responses from clients saying, "Hey, you're just outside my area. When are you going to open?" It's very easy for us to open a new market. It's you know as simple as drawing a map, a, a line in a map. And, uh, bam, it's available in the app, but we want to be responsible. Um, and we want to make sure that there's enough supply to satisfy that market. In, in the case of being in Toronto, uh, pick uh, Collingwood and blue mountain as an example, lots of demand from clients. Uh, people want to see this model out there. But the reality is we're having a difficult time finding therapists who are willing to work out there. Okay. So I'm resisting opening the market, knowing that we have clients, but not enough therapists to satisfy the area. So that is the, the constant struggle that we're faced with every day and why we have dedicated recruiters on the ground every day trying to, um, uh, trying to recruit the best possible therapists that we can find. Do you intend
0: to take this business outside of Canada and move it into the United States or other
1: markets? Mm-hmm. Well, we do. There are two very strong players uh, in the U.S., venture-backed, raised a lot of money. But I think it's very natural to look at the U.S. market, the, the, the U.S. market, especially um, cities where Canadians frequent. So, you know, they're already familiar with our brand, so why not? Um, I alluded to earlier how easy it is to open a new market as far as the technology goes. On the supply side, there are 350,000 therapists in the US versus 26,000 therapists in Canada. So with that in mind, I think it's a no-brainer for us to look at the US and ultimately open uh, some markets down there.
0: Yeah, great. And in terms of the RMTs in the United States. Are there different requirements or different ways that you're going to think about those partners with your business in the U S
1: versus Canada? Certainly. So Canada is very familiar to us. Ontario is very familiar to us. That's, that's, that's my home. And that's where i run my, my brick and mortar business out of. So it was very natural to open in Canada just because we are familiar with the regulations. It turns out the regulations in Ontario, not only Canada are very stringent um, and, 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 we like to say they set the bar. In the US each state is different and by the way in Ontario uh, in Canada each province is different. So some are uh, self-regulated, and some are are, are regulated provinces. Um, so before opening up any market in the U.S., we would need to do our due diligence. We would have to make sure that we're doing the right things. Our teas are crossed, our, our eyes are done. In fact, it was Caravel Law who we used when we first started in, in 2015 doing our due diligence in, in Ontario. One of your great lawyers helped me through the process of making sure that we were abiding by the Regulated Health Professions Act, the CMTO, the College of Massage Therapists of Ontario. This stuff's very important to the business and frankly very important to me and my partners to make sure that we're we're being kosher. So where do you see Masago going from here? I, I mentioned the enterprise business. I think okay. that this is, uh, I hate to say, low-hanging fruits for us, um, but certainly our therapists being our customers, we want to keep them busy. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned earlier that really we only start getting busy at 5 o'clock every day. So how can I keep them busy between 8 a.m. and and 5 p.m.? So the enterprise business, just knowing that massage at work is in demand, uh, we want to make it on demand. So that's where I want it to go. And we've talked about benefits, I think making it as seamless and easy for our clients to be able to redeem their benefits. So, so direct billing through the t- using the technology, I think that's a very important step for me and for the company. Mm-hmm. So we'd like to get there. I'm not going to bore you with the technology details on the back end, and we do have to find a partner willing to work with us benefit side, but uh, ultimately that's where we need to go, and that's where we will go in future. So this is one place where the uh, trend towards open concept offices works uh, against <laughs> 100%, but you know, we've done a few um, events at open space offices, yeah. and there's always uh, spaces to uh, private spaces available where, uh, yeah. where we can Sort of use. I guess. Well,
0: if anyone uh, listening to the podcast is interested in giving Masago a try, what's the best way for them to learn more about your business and to sign up?
1: Uh, masago.ca So M A S S A G O.ca. Um, by the way, there's no wrong way to pronounce the name. <laughs> um, I've heard many, many iterations. You can find us on the App Store at Masago or the Google Play Store and web booking. So if you're at your office and you want to book from your desktop computer, you can do that too at masago.ca. Well, thank you very much, Alan. It's a very cool business. Really appreciate you coming in to talk to us about today. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. I appreciate it, Stuart.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alan Scott of Masago. Now we'll be joined by Ellen Swan of Caraval Law. All right. Delighted to now be joined by Ellen Swan from Caraval Law. Uh, Ellen, why don't you tell us a little bit about your practice?
2: I advise companies on issues related to employment relationships and contracts generally. So all aspects of the employment relationship from start to finish and beyond and the proper allocation of risk in contractual relationships.
0: What does start to finish and beyond mean?
2: Well, when you want to hire, so from recruitment postings to job descriptions to contracts and negotiation of employment agreements with new hires, and through including um, you know policy manuals, discipline, and other kinds of relationship and performance management, as well as termination of employment and enforcement of post-employment covenants. So confidentiality, non-solicitation, things like that.
0: All the fun stuff. It is. So we just heard from Alan Scott at Masago about all the steps that they take to ensure a safe experience for both the RMTs and their clients. There's lots of news stories out there about ride-sharing incidents, home rental incidents, and there's lots of businesses that are starting based on freelance talent, you know, the gig economy kind of thing. What does a company like that have to do to ensure it's meeting its safety obligations?
2: Um, Well, just as a first point, I want to highlight that the only province in which I am entitled to practice law is Ontario. And so my thoughts and comments relate to the law in Ontario, which is not necessarily entirely different from other jurisdictions. But just to put that out there, that that's my perspective. So safety obligations under Ontario health and safety laws are essentially designed to protect the most vulnerable. So, those people with little or no control over safety compliance—that's who I would consider the most vulnerable. By ensuring that those with the most control over compliance do all that they can to ensure safety. So, in theory, it is possible to what I call delegate safety compliance to, for example, those that you engage to provide training services or to your contractors themselves. But there's some pretty heavy caveats to that statement. That delegation being successful is highly contingent on ensuring the execution of what is delegated. So, it's not enough for an, a, a company to say, you must comply with all safety obligations in their contract with a contractor. That will not insulate the company from liability. You must also get quite granular in terms of what those obligations are, but also follow up to ensure compliance. So the legal obligation is to exercise all due diligence to prevent a safety incident. That's a very high burden and requires real Delegation, real diligence, excuse me, in monitoring compliance and ensuring the execution of safety obligations. Asking your contractors to register with the WSIB, the Workplace Safety and Insurance Board, is a great place to start, as is developing and implementing a comprehensive training program that you require all of your contractors to participate in and sign off on, and you keep records of that training and updating that training so that you can authentically say, these people have learned the safest processes for doing the work that I'm asking them to do.
0: And is there any difference in your obligations if you're using freelance talent versus your own employees?
2: Not really under the occupational health and safety regime. Um, The definition of worker in occupational health and safety law is broader than a strict employer-employee relationship and will include, in a lot of cases, what we might consider to be independent or dependent contractors.
0: Okay, if the core service of your company is being provided by a contractor or a freelancer of some kind, are there specific key points that you need to focus on in your agreements with those contractors?
2: Um, There definitely are. I think you want to think about how you're going to get out of this relationship. So what does your termination obligation and entitlement look like? What is the nature of your relationship? So is it exclusive? Is it non-exclusive? Do you have particular indemnities in there with respect to liability, for, for example, health and safety, or for example tax if somebody else disagrees with your characterization of this relationship. But I think it's also more important before you even look at what your paper is going to be between a contractor and a company to ask yourself two key questions. What am I doing beyond what my contractor does? So why is what I'm providing something broader than what the contractor is providing? as my business. And then the second question is, why do I want this person, particularly if we're talking about an individual, to be a contractor? If the answer to the first question is not much, then there's a real risk that A, the law will interpret your relationship with your contractor as something more like an employment relationship. But B, you're also going to be exposed to losing your contractor if they and all your business if they decide to go out on their own. Because your ad beyond the services provided by the contractor is not that great. And I think the answers to these questions will lead you to Query whether there are other relationships or other ways of papering your relationship beyond an independent contractor relationship um, that might, or an independent contractor agreement, that might better reflect what it is you're looking for from that relationship.
0: Are there some key ways that a company could protect itself against contractors starting up a rival business and taking clients with them?
2: Yes, you can have post-engagement obligations in a contractor agreement that extend beyond the termination of that agreement. They have to be drafted extremely carefully. And as narrowly as possible to protect the legitimate proprietary and business interests that they're seeking to protect. Um, because if you're basically asking someone not to do the only thing they know how to do for a period of time, so as to protect your business interest, the law says you have to do that in the most minimal way possible, but you can, you can draft for that. Definitely. You can also put different obligations in your agreements with clients to ensure that they don't poach your people or um, work with your people for a period of time after leaving you.
0: So you might have a temptation to want as broad protection as possible but that will actually be counterproductive?
2: It it definitely can be very counterproductive. It can make the entire obligation fail which means that there would be no post-engagement restrictions enforceable against the departed contractor. Again, I think if you go back to those two initial questions, you may end up considering that a contractor relationship is not the best way to protect your business and what you want to do
0: with these people. Well, that's a lot of really helpful information for people to consider if they're looking at a business like this. Thank you very much for your time today, Ellen.
2: Happy to chat, Stuart.
0: I want to thank my guests on the podcast today, Alan Scock, the co-founder and CEO of Masago, and Ellen Swan, a commercial and civil litigator with Caravel Law. If you'd like more information about Caravel Law, please check us out at CaravelLaw.com. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Business Decisions Podcast. If you did, please let us know or leave us a review. And we'd love it if you would share this podcast with someone else that you believe would benefit from these discussions. We'll be back next week with Episode 6 of the Business Decisions Podcast. And until then, we hope all of your business decisions are great ones.